Hello, and welcome to The Block Explorer. I'm Colin Brightfield. The Block Explorer is here to educate and inspire you about the world of crypto, regenerative finance, and NFTs. We'll do deep dives into critical concepts for understanding what's happening and discuss the current events shaping the space. We're making this podcast for the curious, the free thinkers, and the change makers that propel us forward. As we embark on our adventures, remember that none of this is financial advice and that crypto can be risky. In this episode, we speak with Rex St. John to discuss the state of regenerative finance, also known as ReFi. We talk about the Regenerative Finance Summit or ReFi Summit that Rex started in Seattle, which is coming up May 23rd to May 25th this spring. And then we also talk about what the ReFi movement is really all about. And we talk about the fact that culture interplays with regenerative finance and Web3 tools. And then finally, we talk about network states and where ReFi is going in the future. I really appreciated this conversation with Rex because Rex has a technical background. He's been deep into all these very techie firms coming from a background at Intel and um, a bunch of other Silicon Valley, Silicon firms. But he's now into the regenerative finance movement hardcore, and he started the ReFi Summit. And so he's an ecosystem builder. And so he's able to connect a lot of the technical ideas, but also to people and what's happening when people come together with these similar shared values of regenerative finance, of impact, of coordination, and of climate and social justice. And we get all these people in the same room and you get these people talking together, what can we create? And Rex did a great job of explaining what ReFi has done well, where ReFi can do better, and then where he wants to see ReFi going and where he really sees the power of regenerative finance for not just healing the earth, but also giving people a sense of purpose, a sense of community, and a new way to live life. So let's dive into this awesome episode with Rex St. John. Welcome to the Block Explorer. Today, we have Rex St. John on the episode talking about ReFi and the ReFi Summit. Welcome on the podcast, Rex. Good to have you. Thanks for inviting me. So we want to talk about a few different things today. We want to talk about ReFi and where you think it is in its movement. We want to talk about what's been going on this past year, what we're looking forward to in this year. We want to talk about ReFi Summit in general. What is ReFi Summit and what people can look forward to to the event that's coming up this year. And then we want to look at the future is what is what are some of the bigger questions and bigger issues in refi that need to get solved we want to talk about some of the government governance ideas and what what do we refi need to really cross the chasm into the mainstream does that sound good absolutely all right awesome so rex let's start a little bit with a little bit of background how did you get into the web3 space in the first place and then how did you find yourself into the refi community uh so the way I got into Web3 is I was working at NVIDIA and uh, I'd been turned on to crypto by one of my friends and I'd been spending a lot of time with it. And then over the course of that year, uh, I just got more and more interesting to the point where it's like, it was like all I could do. Uh, and then I started seeing, uh, learning about some highly innovative projects that 
uh, I was very interested in studying from the silicon side, in particular things like regen network, a cache network. Uh, so I started reaching out to these projects and, and having a discussion with them to understand their technology and how it fit with what I was doing at the time, which was edge AI, IoT, AIoT, edge computing. Uh, and I saw all these interesting projects. Um, that led me to fall kind of into the Cosmos ecosystem. You're talking with folks like Greg Gregory Landois from Regen Network. Um, so I think I was kind of green-pilled from the start a little bit, <laughs> my initial conversations. Awesome. I like that. Yeah, so you got green-pilled from the start. You just found yourself right into that space. So you mentioned um, some of your background that you were working on. So are you a computer science engineer from background, or what, what kind of uh, training do you have? I was a self-taught software engineer for a while. I was building uh, enterprise iOS, Android, Ruby on Rails, Flex 3, Flex 4 applications. Like, I think the biggest application I built was like 100,000 lines of embedded C code for this like industrial HVAC system. And uh, I'd done consulting projects for Disney, ESPN, Train. I worked on the Halo Waypoint app, app, which was Microsoft. I worked on an application for Verizon that was used in all their stores. And then uh, that got me into technical evangelism. Like I, I, I got into, I became an IoT technical evangelist at Intel. Uh, I worked on a number, I built out their uh, robotics, edge AI, camera ecosystems at Intel as part of the makers and innovators group before joining ARM and then NVIDIA. And NVIDIA was probably my last silicon job before ever, before joining Web3. Wow. Cool. So you've done a lot and it sounds like you've, um, you know, really explored, you know, the, the web two IO two IOT to internet of things side of things. So what was it, you know, it seems like you have a lot of options to apply your skills. So what was it about refi in general that actually pulled you to, to want to work in that space? The tokenization of assets and the measurement was uh, pretty much one-to-one with IoT. It's like the whole point of IoT is to put the sensors everywhere, to put the cameras everywhere, and to use that to collect data about the world to drive some kind of value. And when I learned about uh, regenerative finance, uh, they were taking it kind of, uh, they were doing a number of things which I think are very innovative. Uh, I'll give you an example of open forest protocol. So uh, they've kind of got almost like a hybrid approach of they have the satellite data, and then they have in-person uh, people that go and like photograph things and validate. They call them like validators on the ground, and then they use the, that combination of data to like move these trees to the blockchain and, and validate that they're still there to track them. And I think that actually uh, solved some of the biggest problems in IoT. The IoT market uh, hasn't changed much, to be honest, in the last ten years. Uh, but when I saw open things like Open Forest Protocol. That are finding ways to get humans and the network to collaborate together. The biggest cost on IoT is actually isn't the isn't the devices; it's the human labor. Like it's very expensive to have a human being go and 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 repair some sensor that's been broken and not sending data. Like a single a single episode of a broken sensor where somebody has to go fix it, uh, basically can easily ruin the cost of the entire project. So what I really liked in in uh, Regenerative finance is like a lot of these projects. Uh, most of the projects are some kind of real-world asset where they're tokenizing some, you know, resource, and then they're also adding human coordination and governance on top of it. And, uh, and for me, this just felt extremely innovative, and uh, that's that's what motivated me to look at refi. 
Yeah, the, I really like that example of the open forest protocol. So for people that aren't that familiar with Internet of Things, IoT, like what's kind of the, the goal here when it comes to refi using IoT? Uh, the, the validation of the assets. Um, so, you know, there was an executive order last year where the Biden administration said that they wanted to add the, the country's natural resources to the balance sheet or, or to track it as part of the GDP. And they're, the gist of that is they're, they're basically getting at that those natural resources are things that have value and add, you know, to the planet, to the people. And if you can, it sh you shouldn't have measurements of economic success that don't include preservation of those things. And then it was a really interesting executive order. And then you have to ask, like, well, how they're actually going to do it. You know, how are you actually going to catalog all these animals and trees and grass and everything? And then when you start looking at the logistics of going and counting things, I mean, it's again the IoT problem. Either you have to send a human observer to go count, or you estimate it, or you deploy very low-cost cameras or satellites. So between all those things, there's like some kind of uh, answer there. And regenerative finance has uh, the ability to kind of tokenize those things and, and convert them into marketplaces in a way that is really interesting. And I could... I'm not going to go fully into that, but um, that's the direction of it. Okay, great. So now we're moving into, you know, the Internet of Things and then combining that with real-world assets, right? So now we can essentially, we can financialize real-world assets and then they can, be, they can become used as collateral. They can become used as financial primitives across a decentralized finance ecosystem. And that's kind of where this goes. So like what makes you particularly excited about these possibilities? Um, I just, I think that when, when I, the thing that most interesting me, cause like I'm and I've been an ecosystem manager for tw like, you know, 10, 12, 15 years an evangelist. So what I do is I go talk to the developers and the builders and the innovators. Like I go find the projects that I, I find to be really interesting. And I, I ask those people what they're doing. You know, I talk to their CTOs and technical founders. And if I'm if I'm in some market and I keep talking to people and they keep telling me like, hey, you need to look at this, then that really gets my interest. And, and like I, I follow where the developers and builders and innovators are going. And what I started to find is that like a lot of the innovators are going to the Cosmos ecosystem. I found a lot of them in Refi. And uh, it's when when I see the most creative people making a decision like that, then that's a that's like the strongest signal imaginable because. Um, I, I, I've told this story several times, but like, you know, 12, 10 years ago when I was at Intel, I did a study where I talked to the 50 CTOs of the most uh, innovative AI companies. And I made a whole report about like everything they told me. And they said, uh, you know, for example, they could shrink AI down and put it onto a microcontroller. Uh, they told me all kinds of things like that. And um, I, I kind of thought about that for years after I left Intel. And I was, I was sort of checking in my head against like what percentage of what they told me came true and just about 100%, you know, it was like, <laughs> if I could, you know, maybe if, if you could imagine you had a time machine and you could go five years in the future and you know what the price of Bitcoin is going to be, you know, it's like, uh, and that, that's, that's how I felt after doing that experience, experience with interviewing those CTOs. I'm like, wow, if I, if I had just believed everything they told me, and I would have known exactly what to do five years in advance. So now I 
tend to believe the smartest people when they say things to me and I'm just projecting five years ahead. I just assume that those people are five years in advance. And uh, quite honestly, like a lot of times that's possible. So that's what attracts me to this space. Like that's, I'm, I'm, I found the smartest people and they keep saying the same things. So uh, I, I'm going to believe them. And I think refi and web three and it's real world that like some of these things, I think the, the human and network coordination, I think this is real and I think it's going to keep going. Awesome. I love that. And uh, that's definitely one of the reasons that pulled me in towards the, the refi space as well as the, the people and uh, the talent and the passion that the people have that are building in this space is, is definitely contagious. So let's talk a little bit about the refi summit now that we're talking about people. So what is the regenerative finance or refi summit? So the first refi summit, it's because uh, I was at, I was in Seattle and um, I, there wasn't a really great different crypto event. And I was just looking online. I could see all these people going to Denver and Florida and all these cool places, Dubai. And I'm like, how come there isn't just like a really, really, really cool event in Seattle that I could go to? And um, uh, so I was like, well, maybe I should just organize it. Like maybe I should try and organize something. So initially I was just going to do a Web3 event. And then through my research, I learned about refi and I just started following it. And uh, I started building this list, which was refi innovators. And what I do, you know, like when I do ecosystem, what I do is I find some category and I just keep tracking it. And I keep adding so that then I can uh, come back to it later when I, when I, if I decide to do something. I was adding to this refi list. I was adding like five to 10 people a week. And when I saw that, I'm like, this space is exploding. And like, it's, it's, it's like, I just keep finding new projects and people that are joining that I never heard of. So when I saw that and it just kept up for week after week and month after month, I'm like, I think there's pretty, I'm pretty sure there's something here in refi. Like there's something bigger going on that I don't understand. So uh, maybe it should be a refi summit. Maybe Seattle could be like the, maybe I could have an ETH Denver type event or um, scale event. That's all climate and governance and impact and renewable energy credits. And I could build it in Seattle and maybe start it as one day two days and then grow it to a week and then maybe like who knows several weeks so uh and and then i got a chance to go to eat denver walk around and um yeah i think it you know i think it's possible i think um so so what is it i mean it's it's what i said like it last year the the major theme was tokenized carbon this year uh renewable energy credits are going to be a big focus governance is going to be a big focus real world tokenization of other types of assets like water land and real estate will be a focus. Uh, but for me, it's not um, It's not meant to be a bunch of panels. Like it's meant to be productive. It's meant to be like an offsite for this refi industry to figure itself out. So we're gonna have workshops, hand-on sessions, birds of a feather sessions where people can get together. And uh, we've got Filecoin Green running one of those. Um, we're, we're gonna have a, a bunch of different uh, hands-on sessions like that. And then the other focus this year is uh, I organized a town hall with about like 40 people from refi and I asked them what they wanted. And uh, people said they wanted hands-on practitioners and people that are actually physically doing restoration like all day long. Uh, so we're going to have a big emphasis, emphasis on that with the panels and, and talks we do do. We're going to have people that are like really actually doing the work. Last year we had Neil Spackman who uh, really physically goes and manually plants tons of mangrove forests and restores deserts. Uh, so we're gonna have more folks like that. 
Um, I just got off a call with the Salmon Nation, and they've got a, a network of over 150 local Pacific Northwest land restorers. And uh, we're in talks to try and bring some of them to the event and farmers. And uh, that's going to be the emphasis, not not people like me that just talk. <laughs> we're, like I think we saw a lot of feedback from last year that the urge is to see people that do the hands-on restoration uh, celebrated and and uh, put and put uh, on center stage to tell people uh, what they've learned and and like how to how to do it. I guess so. That's. The highlight it's going to be a may 24th to 25th this year in seattle so we're trying <laughs> that's fantastic i'm excited to hear more about it and uh i like the themes the themes of governance working groups and i also like the fact that you're focusing on more on the hands-on i think a lot of these events that i've gone to and a lot of conferences that i'm sure that our listeners have gone to is right there's a lot of speakers a lot of panels um but I think, you know, it's also nice to get your hands dirty and start to really make some pro, pro, uh, really make some uh, difference in the in the in the ecosystem. So when you say like hands on practitioners, so you're talking about, you know, so some of these refi projects, right, they raise funds, they tokenize some assets, they figure out some kind of way to support some kind of regenerative action. But then, right, and it often falls to another group of people, right, that are like the boots on the ground that are actually doing the work. Um, so you can you talk about that connection a little bit? Yeah. So, I mean, like, from my perspective, it feels like last year uh, we had a, a kind of like a crypto market meltdown in many ways with FTX and Terra and, and three, three Arrows Capital and all these going under. And then it spread to like Silver Bank and, and so on. So I think uh, last year it was like a different market for sure. I think there's more like excess liquidity flowing around in crypto. So I think after that's been removed, like we we kind of had to to look around as refi some of the organizers and be like, well, what's left after all that excess liquidity is gone? And the answer is, you know, there's one which is Vera is has a 170 page report they've written on uh, their analysis of whether or not and how they might adopt uh, cryptocurrencies in some form for what they've done. Gold Standard has announced a pilot project with five different leading projects to uh, explore tokenized uh, carbon offsets with folks like Flow Carbon and others. Um, so that that work is going to continue. And then I, I, I think my view with Refi Summit is my hope is ultimately that Refi would cross the chasm with the traditional climate technology market because there's a big market there. And a great example, uh, your, back to your question of like people who are hands-on doing stuff. So we've got mast reforestation here in Ballard, and they're using drones to deploy seeds to uh, reforest burned off uh, forest lands. So they're going to come and like people like that that are physically going out and like actually uh, doing work to restore uh, damaged ecosystems. And I, I think trying to create that space where, where, where projects from the climate technology side that actually do hands-on work directly, like mass reforestation and the refi movement can come together. Like my, my, my goal is to create a hybrid space in many ways. Like our goal is to head in that direction. Got it. Yeah. I like that idea. So, you know, what is the overall objective of, of the refi summit? You know, there's a lot of events, there's a lot of crypto events, there's a lot of refi events. What, what is the objective of the refi summit in general? The first one I think was er it's an early summit uh, as people were coming out of COVID, so a lot of people had never met each other, 
and only ever interacted on Twitter. So I had all all these people came out, uh, and I've had multiple people tell me that that first event changed their life, and they they had to quit their job or they started a new company because they met people like them for the first time. And uh, I think that was really nice to hear. So that first event was transformational because it happened early on, and it, it just kind of like we kind of pioneered models on like how to structure an event, and uh, it, it was a very early refi event uh, at, coming out of COVID. This year, I think people have had a lot more time to go travel and meet each other and have further conversations, like who's been refi bar, Chara, and others, and uh, refi uh, the climate, the full carbon climate summit, and in, in Denver and, and other other things like that. I think it's uh, just that meet, people meeting each other is less transformational now. I think what I would like to advance this time is uh, I want to add build out the developer hands-on sessions working sessions and also birds of a feather sessions because I feel like that's where all the really interesting work and conversation happens where we can facilitate people. You know, you take some leading expert and 12 people and they get in a room and they whiteboard something. My experience is as an organizer of, of past events is that people absolutely love that stuff where it's led by the builders. Like it's not, it's not us programming it. We're creating a time and a place. So Trying to recreate the magic of the first refi summit by 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 let putting the innovators and builders forward and letting them run these small unstructured sessions. This is not a talk and it's not a panel. Uh, I think I'm expecting that to go over really well from past experience. So that's my goal. Awesome. And then it's based in Seattle, right? So yeah. uh, what is it about being in Seattle that's important to the refi summit? The first thing is. Um, um, there's a number of reasons that I think Seattle, so there's a few, so as an organizer, um, like I keep asking myself the question, it's like, why did ETH Denver happen in Denver? If you haven't been to ETH Denver, it's just enormous 25, 30,000 person crypto event. And I'm like, well, what's the difference between Denver and Seattle? I mean, it's like, in theory, Seattle has a lot going for it. It has all these Amazon, Microsoft, Google, Facebook, you know, high density of of these tech companies, hundreds of game studios. You know, it's, this should be a pretty active place. And then we also have our environment. You know, we, we have all kinds of, you know, um, really great green areas and, and nature areas. Uh, but for some reason, it's not happening. It's like, it's like East Denver didn't happen here for some reason. Why is that? And I just thought about it for a while. And the only thing I could come up to, with is that uh, somebody on the ground decided they were going to do it and they were going to do it consistently year after year after year. And that's why ETH Denver got to the scale that it got to is a local leadership on the ground. So I'm like, well, maybe um, maybe if we do that, like uh, I, I think at this point, Web3 is advanced enough that uh, there's, all, there's, there's crypto events all over the place. Like if you want a blockchain or a Bitcoin event, there's lots of places to go. So just doing another uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum event doesn't feel compelling. I think the gap, I think the opportunity is for Seattle to focus on the environment. These companies, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, they all have big staff on the environment side, like the climate technology side. And uh, I think with the advent of AI, um, last year, there was so much um, criticism of Bitcoin because of the data center footprint usage, which is like, in retrospect, I mean, like, it. it here, <laughs> I'm going to try and show you this graph. Um, so like this is how much like energy Bitcoin uses. I don't know if like this is super Yeah, bad. I can see that. Yeah, how much global. energy global data centers use. So yeah. 
All right. Um, that was last year. And and like here, like here's what I think is gonna happen when we have AI, because AI is gonna take off. So yeah. suddenly we're going from Bitcoin being this much energy to global data centers, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, it's gonna skyrocket because AI is expensive. You gotta have profit models. So the data centers are these, you know, massive energy consuming and they have to be located by fresh water sources and they have to be put frequently in, in low cost areas, which are the environmental um, sensitive areas. So all these cloud companies are going to put these giant data centers to crank on all this AI. And where are they going to put it? They're going to put it, you know, somewhere by a river <laughs> with fresh water that uses a lot of electricity. I think, um, you know, it could be the case that AI forces some of this conversation, you know, like it, it's a climate technology. I think maybe token prices don't recover for a while, but I think climate technology should be alive and well, you know, accounting and tokenization of assets. I mean, that could be accelerated massively by AI in a number of ways I can think about. So uh, that's why Seattle in some ways, <laughs> I think we should be the leader uh, if, if we feel like it, but it's, it's, it's just a mindset thing. It's like, what do you want to do? <laughs> you have to do it every consistently or nothing happens. You know, nothing will happen if you don't do it. So I guess I'll try to do it with my co-organizer, Jeff, who's been super old. Yeah, that's really inspiring. And I, I think it's really cool that you've, you know, taken the initiative to to do this. And I agree. I think Seattle is such a great city for a refi event. Like you said, it, it has a, a certain kind of ethos. There's a, a high, you know, density of of tech companies based there. So there's a, there's a very much a that kind of culture. And um, yeah, I think I've always thought of the of Pacific Northwest as being a, kind of like ahead of the rest of the United States when it comes to um, green technology and, and climate awareness and things like that. I mean, I remember, I've, I remember visiting and a, a bunch of people I knew had a biodiesel car, and they were already, you know doing a lot of the, the things that, you know, are now more popular the rest of the rest of the world. I had an additional point, which is um, we have the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation here. And in theory, they're spending all this money on climate environment. But but when you think about it, you know, like my experience, because like, I just wandered in, I kind of came into the climate space not being a climate expert. Like my background's in silicon. I build ecosystems and I listen to people, you know, like I, that's not, you know, that, that's what I do. And uh, what I've learned is like most of the major climate events are in Europe, <laughs> like all the expos and everything, like all the big ones. I, I mean, there are some in the United States, but uh, I couldn't find any, um, you know, through my research. And, and I'm like, well, what's going on? I, I'm like, well, I think they just get a lot more uh, funding from and support from the, the European Union to do that there. And that's why it's like an epicenter. And I'm like, well, it's it's just strange to me that we would have the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, and they all have, go search on LinkedIn for climate at Amazon or climate at Microsoft. There's hundreds of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. I'm like, how is it possible that they have all these people and all this money and the Bill and Melinda Gates and there's no major climate summit in Seattle? Like that, how does that even add up? Like what, like what is going on if there's no major summit like or that I'm aware of? I mean, maybe there is one. So I'm like, well, it seems like there should be an opportunity here to, to, to put one. So that was my idea. <laughs> I like that too. You know, th that that's a really good point is that there's a lot of funding available. And, and I think 
hopefully, you know, the refi summit catches their attention and some of those foundations and you're able to get some funds from them. So when it comes to, you know, we're kind of talking about regenerative finance as a movement now, right? It's a global movement. You see, you know, there's a lot of events happening around the world, but it's also, you know, gaining a lot of steam, I feel like just in the crypto world. So as we look at into refi, like what has refi accomplished this, this past year? Where, where are we at so far? And then where, where do we want to go? I actually like so the first part of your question and was very 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 interesting in ways okay. that I think people don't realize and and like it, like I if I if I hadn't gone to some of these events and seen what's going on I, I don't think I would have understood it but I think what's happening so I went to eat I'll just preface this I, I went to eat Denver. and I kept running into people and I kept asking them hey where do you live and they're like I don't I don't live anywhere. I live in a van or I travel. I'm an itinerant. I don't have a country. I just move around. I heard that so many times. And I'm like, what way did like so I mentioned before about that research I did at Intel. And I'm like, whenever I hear something like that multiple times and I've, you know, and I've never heard it before, that gets my interest in major ways because I know like those early qualitative signals show up way before the big trend shows up. So I'm like, what's going on here? Like, and I think it's uh, people are getting unglued from their countries. I think people uh, want something to be attached to, and the crypto conferences have been doing uh, even all last year. As bad as the the market was, the crypto conferences did amazing. Like, you know, every crypto event I went to was crazy. And when I saw that, I'm like, there's something bigger happening here beyond business. It's not. This is not about. Money. I think money maybe started it, but there's something else going on here. These people want a, a new community to be part of, and it's taking the place of what maybe their local country, you know, their local government used to be part of. And you're seeing it because like, I met people and they're like, I was like, well, what did you do the last three years? And they, they're like, I went to 60 crypto events. And I'm like, um, that's not that's not about business. That's about uh, being part of a decentralized country. You know, it's like I'm going to go to all these events and meet my people just like me, and that's my life now. And there's and there's groups with people that like live in vans and coordinate like that. So people are getting unglued from their 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 country and their city and their state, and they're and they're going to these crypto events. That's their new country. And regenerative finance appears at all these. And regenerative finance to me is critical because I think regenerative finance is like almost like the new um, central organizing principle. Because it's like, you know, you had the United States, for example, this is not to get too political, but, and there's a constitution and it says freedom is number one. And then like a lot of people over the years looked into that and were like, well, you know, there's a track record of that not being number one. So we're not sure if we can buy into that anymore. And that kind of led to like a degradation of that civic uh, uh, fabric. And people want, but people want it and they're replacing it with regenerative finance and the environment and impact and sustainability. And it's like, okay, uh, this this is going so philosophical. You're you're taking the nation state away, and you're taking the local economy away, and you're taking you know organized religion away. You've now taken everything away, and you took the community away. And now I see people bringing things back. It's like okay, regenerative finance 
uh, can take the place in in many ways of all those things. In fact, it fuses maybe it fuses all of them. It's like, well, you know, maybe like it initially made sense to go to church and like you know all this stuff, but now what if we go to these events and we restore the, the planet together? Wouldn't that be a better more a better use of time? And I, that's what I feel. So like if I had to lift up the hood of regenerative finance and be like, why is this happening? That's what I find is people are reconstituting some structures that have been completely removed from them. And uh, so I think when, when I see the movement growing the way it has been and showing up at all these conferences, like for me, that's why a big re- part of reason why I started focusing on governance this time, because I think that it, I think we're going to head into this very contentious election and people are going to get really fed up. And, and this time it's different. The last time people were fed up, you know, people have always been fed up with politics. But this time there's an option, there's an alternative. And the alternative is Dow tooling, network states, join a Dow, join regenerative finance, uh, get mobile, don't have a house, don't go to the conferences, go do hands-on restoration, go be with these people, stop uh, playing this other game that doesn't make sense anymore. And that's what I... That's that's what is uh, most compelling to me underneath the hood. So that's my, and the second part of your question, I forget. But the first part, I think, is like, I, I can't be understated how important the first part of your question is. Because look at all the layoffs. Amazon, Google, Microsoft, all those tech workers. Now they got AI. Are those jobs going to come back? What are all those people going to do? Come to refi. <laughs> come to DAOs. Come to network states. That's where they're going to come, I think. I would hope. <laughs> Anyways. I hope so, too. That That's a great invitation and a great call to action. I, I think that's fantastic. And I really love everything that you just said I, and, and the philosophy behind it, because I've noticed a lot of the similar things and trends that you've noticed. Um, and even, you know, just at the crypto um, events that I go to, it's, it's, it's really inspiring to see the regenerative finance movement occupying more space at these events. I remember... Um, at least the, the previous ETH January last year, you know, refi was a thing, but it was just kind of like a smaller thing. And then this year, you know, they had a whole, it was on the same level as DAOs and metaverse and the development, they had a whole regen village. And so, you know, it's, it's cool to see this, this space is expanding. Cause I think what well, you said, it has this sense of community and also um, this really amazing sense of purpose that is, you know, bigger than, you know, one person just trying to make a lot of money. Right. And I think also one of the other things that I observed in going to ETH number, like I'm relatively late to crypto. Like I think there's a lot of people that spent years and years going to these ETH events and like go traveling and like hanging out. And I think we're in a late stage because, you know, I was listening between the lines. I'm like, okay, what's the big story this week at ETH number? Like what's the number one? And it's obviously like things like ZK rollups and, and stuff like that. And I was just listening. I'm like, you know, um, the promise of these cryptocurrencies that they would decentralize finance and make it secure and like, you know, Ethereum moving to proof of stake. I'm like, I think for the most part, a, lo- a large part of these technical innovations and foundations are in place to the point where I wasn't hearing anything that I'm like, oh, that's going to change the game. It's more like optimizations to what they already have. So I'm like, okay, yeah, you do ZK rollups or whatever. Um, that's going to improve what you got for now and and obviously it will continue to prove and there's continues to be problems but what's the big story here and what's what's going to cause the next 1000x or 100x you know how do you get from 1 trillion to 10 100 trillion 
And my con- my conclusion was it's coordination. It's like governance. Like if if you can work out those problems, then people can have more talent dedicated towards more solutions and and like tokenizing more assets. And I think uh, so. That's that's what I walked out of that event with. And I'm like, you know, it feels like governance and refi are the are the place. And potentially, you know, these advancements in AI may may significantly accelerate that. Yeah, I really like that you touched on AI there, and I, I do want to pull in that thread. But before we dig deeper into that, when you say governance, like what are some of the major um, parts of the governance uh, problems or, or problem set that that people need to explore that we're working on? So I was uh, doing this analysis, like having worked at these big companies like Microsoft, I was, I was working at Intel and NVIDIA, and I've had a lot of exposure to Google and, micro, and these meta and these other companies. And um, what I learned is, you know, how these companies operate and how they structure themselves. And the company I found most interesting by far was Amazon. Uh, the way Amazon works, the way Jeff Bezos designed Amazon, uh, he designed it to be siloed on purpose, which is unusual. Most of these companies try to break down silos. They want people to talk to each other. Jeff Bezos said, that's all wrong. Like, you actually don't want everybody in the company to have to talk to everybody else. Because then that just causes politics and slowdowns. You want to empower these small teams. He calls them two pizza teams. And they can go work on something in a silo and, and not be bothered by having to communicate with everybody else. And the way they did that is they created this decentral, you know, form of decentralized structure where they ask people to open up APIs to what they're doing internally. So if you want to interact with what they're doing, you could do it. So there's a really long blog post by this guy, Steve Yegi, about this. So uh, Amazon has tried to build this modular, a very decentralized big company, and they've had a track record of being able to be as effective and fast moving as a startup in, in, in many cases, such as introducing uh, the Graviton processor. You know, none of the other cloud companies are even close to, to getting to where Amazon got because they were able to operate like a startup and ship stuff like that, which is very unusual. So my theory is that Amazon is the last the, the highest form of the big companies. And it's probably the, the last form of the big company you'll ever see ever again. I don't know if we're ever going to build companies that size ever again. I, I, and I don't know if we're ever going to build cities with skyscrapers in them any, anymore. Uh, I think we have remote work and I think we have AI and I think we have blockchain and I think we have just people don't want to be rooted anywhere. And I think the costs are too expensive. So people are going to spread out. So my theory of what replaces Amazon is something that I'm calling a federated ecosystem. So I've written several articles about this, and I'm aware of two federated, three federated ecosystems now. The first is Axelor, the second is Cosmos, and the third is Polkadot. In a federated ecosystem, you have a bunch of startups which are truly uh, networked together through some kind of inter-blockchain communication. And this Cosmos has this uh, technology called IBC, which is inter-blockchain communication. So if you go to Map of Zones, uh, you can view the Cosmos ecosystem, and you can see all these projects that are linked together. And it kind of uh, completes Jeff Bezos's vision of having decentralization with some centralization elements, so that you can have a mesh of startups that can move like a big company. I mean, if you look at Cosmos as a whole, it's probably got tens of thousands of people working in it. But they're they're all super siloed into startups, so they can move like startups. And if one of the startups goes under, all the people from that startup go work in Cosmos somewhere else. So uh, 
I think this kind of federated ecosystem structure makes a lot of sense to me as being the governance of the future. But watching Cosmos deal with its governance problems uh, and talking with the people that are working on it, it's like, I think we have a lot of maturity to go there. But whoever figures out this federated ecosystem thing first is going to build, you know, the decentralized Amazon. Uh, I think people um, or should be looking at these federated ecosystems very closely because I find that I found this fascinating. I think there's a potentially a revolution happening in in how organizations could be structured, but we still have a lot to figure out. Yeah, yeah, I love the federated ecosystem example that you just mentioned, and I think you know Cosmos is a great example of that. Could you make the argument that Ethereum is kind of moving towards that way with their layer twos and their rollups, which is coming at it from another direction? So my day job, I work at a company as a co-founder or early early co-founder, early hire at a company called Saga, and out of the Cosmos ecosystem, we help automate. Uh, infrastructure so you can launch your own blockchain so our theory is everybody's going to want to be your own l1 uh kind of like it's a cosmos thesis like we think that the app chain thesis is the way to go there's been a lot of contentiousness along the way you know it hasn't been clear if app chains are the way to go or if you know rollups or one of these other solutions um we're still bullish on these app chains um so we think that looking at ethereum i mean vitalik himself has said multiple times He's, he's mentioned Cosmos multiple times. He said in, there's been blog posts he's written where he pointed out app chains and said, actually, maybe this might be the future. Like there's a, a blog where he said something, this might actually be the future. But like, it's I think um, from, maybe from his perspective and their perspective, they haven't fully made up their minds and they're just going to evolve as the ecosystem does. Um so we we like we think people want to have high sovereignty. We think people want to have control over their own infrastructure, and people want to make decisions. Like Web three is all about freedom. So if if you have to use somebody else's billing system and they can cut you off, like PayPal or whatever or Stripe, uh, that's not decentralized. And I I think there's a we think everyone's going to want to have their own chain. We're going to help spin up thousands of chains uh, with our technology. Um, so. Um, I, I think when you look at rollups, like the criticism of a rollup that I've heard is they're like, well, you have to, you know, pay this tax to the L1 you're originating from at some point. And, and, and if you're, if you're the one providing all the value, like maybe your company is really good at business development, ecosystem sales, marketing. And at some point, like if you're a company like that, I'm not going to name names. You start to wonder, it's like, well, why do I need to roll this up? If I'm, if, if we're the experts at all these things. So we think that uh, everybody that develops these kinds of skills is going to want their own app chain. Um, so that's that's our thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I follow that thinking. That's it's a fascinating uh, you know ecosystem you know line of uh, development to watch, and I, I think I think it's going to be fun as as we move on. So it's oh, one, one more thing I want to interject there. Yeah. So when Jeff Bezos founded Amazon, he said. I wanted to design a company based on something that would always be true. And his reasoning is like, well, I need this to be around for 20 years. So I can't just do like, you know, Flappy Bird and then people get bored of Flappy Bird a month later and then like the company's out of business. So he's like, people, the statement he came up with is people will always want to buy things faster and cheaper on the internet. And that's what Amazon is. It's been true for like however long. So when I look at like Cosmos and Saga, I ask the same question. I'm like, what seems to be true? 
And the thing that seems to always be true is people always want to have uh, freedom and they always want to launch more blockchains. Uh, and if you look at the, I think if you made a graph of the number of total blockchains launched, it only ever goes up. And and like that's just a graph of people wanting independence and freedom. And and people will always want to be free. So they'll always want more blockchains. So that's my s- summary of them. Bullish blockchains being launched. I like that. Blockchains up and to the right always, up only. <laughs> yeah, because it's I like that. I like that thesis. I think that's I think that's correct. And I'm I'm a freedom maxi as well. I think freedom is a great value to maximize. So when we look at refi now. Going back to refi, what has refi learned over the last year? Um, I think the biggest thing is uh, people are getting somewhat tired with offsets, carbon offsets as like the main focus. And like in doing research about what to do a refi summit this year, I heard that over and over again. And then um, I think people also, you know, there was like, I don't know if it's a come to Jesus moment, probably after ETH Denver on Twitter, where people were having a big discussion about like if we're actually doing anything physically, hands-on, like restoring anything, and like what the total net output of refi has been. And that that equation didn't look so great in a lot of cases. Uh like there's a there's a whole thread started by I think her Twitter account is Shetty. I think people hit the reset button. Uh, culturally on that at that point and they're like um, we want to restore the focus back to the hands-on builders farmers land restorers hands-on practitioners and that should be the emphasis and we should move away from just like you know talking about finance and venture capital and like you know like marketing ideas so that was that was the big shift Um, and I think once all the money's gone, now we're back to a point where we're like, okay, um, out of everything last year, what's left? Like, what what were, what is remaining? So I wrote an article where I kind of summarized it, and it, I don't know what, what I did with it. It's on my Medium. So I basically said that ReFi needs uh, a better foundation. Like, we need to reset the movement around real-world assets. And I created a stack that I presented where I broke ReFi into three layers. The bottom layer is um, the acquisition and tokenization of real-world assets, water offsets, you know, biodiversity credits, and so on. There's a list of them. So this first layer is just acquire and tokenize the assets and put them on the blockchain. The next layer is policy and standards, which is um, setting the standards of this technology so that it's reliable and somebody's checking on it and somebody's verifying it. And then the top level was governance, coordination, and activism. And that's where the value creation happens. It's like if you tokenize water and then that is just tokenized water and people can trade it, but you haven't conserved anything. So, um, but you have to do that in order to build this, the top level governance layer. So I, I looked around and in, in interviewing all the refi projects, my conclusion was too many of them were taking on what I call the full vertical slice. They were trying to locate the asset, tokenize it, do the standards, and then also do the activism. And uh, my proposal was to get more strict or get more disciplined about how this whole thing fits together. Um, So I think that process will be ongoing. I think this work that Klima Dao and Vera and Tukan are doing, I read through this 170-page report. There's some very fascinating stuff in there. 
And the number one thing that came out of it for me was that dynamic NFTs seem to be the way to go. And the reason dynamic NFTs are the way to go is that um, they you 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 want these unique assets like a tree is a tree. It's not like a commodity tree or a carbon offset is a carbon offset. And then you have to attach a lot of metadata to it about where it came from, what the you know who produced it, has it been consumed, uh, is it you know what's the quality of it. So you have to have this metadata, and then you also have to apply standards policy verification to it. So when I read through that document, I walked away and I said that I think all these tokenized assets are probably best modeled as smart objects, which is a dynamic NFT. Uh, so I, I, I'm not sure how far that's progressed now, but I think that that's the direction forward. That that's what I learned. <laughs> yeah, the touched touch on a lot of things that I think are really insightful there. I like the foundation part that you mentioned and the different layers. And I think you're right. I think that is a, a piece that people get caught up on is the taking a full vertical slice. And that's very hard to do all three of those things well. And so I think, you know, really focusing on the, the, the Lego piece and how you fit into the overall structure, I think is important. And uh, I like the, the dynamic NFTs. I haven't heard that take yet. And I think that's actually a really good point because it, each tree is different, right? Each, just like, you know, everything in the real world is a non-fungible token. It's unique, right? So it makes sense for having these dynamic NFTs that can then be updated to show how an asset has changed over time. So you kind of touched on like where, where ReFi is now. Um, what what things has ReFi done well that are really working? Uh, obviously, the ReFi DAO seems to be pretty effective at like building and leading the global ReFi movement. And then they've announced this uh, initiative to go head, begin heading towards a ReFi network state, which I think is a really good idea. And then they've started setting up uh, local nodes in different cities. I think they started with Lisbon. And the idea is like I think they're gonna start playing around with this idea of like of like what happens if you turn this decentralized group of people that are unanchored. They don't want to be associated. You know, they want to be associated with refi, not like other structures. And I think that's very high potential. You know, I think when one of the things I found in Cosmos is in, in like learning about the governance dis discussions in Cosmos, I'm, I think that the data set of the, the I, I, like I view it in terms of like a minimum viable product, it's like, if you've got 50 plus chains working together and then all hundreds and hundreds of people voting and like debating policies and passing rules and like, you know, they might be fighting, but like you have a working system of governance. And for me, that's a breakthrough. I mean, that's revolutionary to just have, you know, it's, it's from zero to one. You have the beginnings of a network state governance, like, you know, and it's proven and working and people keep voting and engaging with it. Is you know may not be perfect, but it's like there's data there that uh, is super valuable going forward. And if if you understood the lessons of Cosmos and you start thinking about how to redesign it and build the next generation network state, uh, you're going to be in the best position because like you know a lot of people want to talk network states, but who's actually built something that is sort of on the right track? I think Cosmos is a network state. I think Polkadot is a network state. I think the refi nation is going to be a network state and uh, it'll evolve slowly. And I think people have, I think the uh, learning is going to be number one. Like, I don't know if it will be a network state 10 years from now, but uh, if, if like just setting it up and playing around in the sandbox and pretending it's true, 
There's going to be so much value that comes out of that. And uh, I, I think this stage, all you can do is learn. Like, I don't think anyone's, you know, no one's going to be like taking over the world or building extra solar planets or whatever. Uh, I do think people will learn. And I think the learning will be ultra valuable. I think anything that increases the learning will be really good. You know, like me. Uh, so hopefully I'd like to have that conversation at refi summit this year. And I've started, uh, I've started the, a second Twitter handle that's called next state. Uh, because in, in traveling these events and talking to these activists and organizers, I feel the same way I felt with refi summit, which is, I don't feel there's a good place for people to have this conversation with activists, democracy, innovation, network state design, DAOs. And uh, I think after Refi Summit, I might try to put this conversation together in the form of this ne this next state project. And I'm still in early phases. I'm just talking to people and wanting to hear what they have to think. And uh, I want to, because uh, I when I, I've been to enough crypto events where I'm like, I've seen some DAO events and I'm like, uh, I've been to some DAO events, but I feel like my, what my takeaway was that the conversation that I think needs to happen is not happening. <laughs> and it's not happening because the right people aren't put together. And maybe uh, we could put those people together and have that conversation. How do you design a network state and make it work? And how do you get the hundreds of DAO tools to work together to produce a network state? Uh, and and how do you share learnings from existing democracy innovation innovators with those tools to move the ball forward? Uh, so I create ecosystems. I I try and create a time and a place, and I find the people and put them together and structure the interaction. And maybe that's like a UN for network states that I'm creating. So that's that's my next concept. All right. Next state, I look forward to checking out that project. And I like the UN of network states. Uh, that's a great analogy. So you're talking about, you know, refi kind of breaking out of its shell. So what are the other things that we need? To, you know, how far are we from refi crossing this chasm? Um, I, one of the things that worried me last year is when I first left Silicon to join Web3, here's what I assumed. Like, I assumed that at some point, all these people from the prior tech era, the big company tech workers, you know, they would get some kind of memo where they're like, oh, you know, like there's a hundred trillion dollars in global assets and and like the money system's actually way more broken than people realize. Like I saw a tweet yesterday, which I loved. The guy was like, everybody is complaining about crypto, but nobody can explain to me why if I want to get a bank uh an ACH wired to me, I have to give that person everything they need to completely clean out my bank account. And I, I never thought of that before. It's like, if you want to get like a million dollar wire, like you have to give them your bank account and your, your, where you live and who you are and like your social security, they could take that and just like steal everything you have. And, and, and I was like, God, that's shocking. You know, like that's so obviously broken. Like how does nobody see how broken that is? But so I, my assumption is that, Everybody that is not in crypto native, it would somehow like magically come to the understanding that this is the future. And and, and like over the last year, I'm like, oh, this is just never going to happen. Like this is like people aren't going to change. The, like nobody like it's not going to happen by people just being educated and playing with it and changing their mind. 
They're, it's just going to, like, reality will just change under their feet, and they'll just get used to the new reality. But they're not going to consciously be like, oh, we're all in on crypto. Like, the, what was I doing using a bank before? That was so crazy. So I just, I'm just like, it's just going to be, there's not going to be this, like, moment. It's just going to, it's going to be like a gradient where it's like, one day your wallpaper was red, and the next day it's a little more pink, it's a little more pink. It's a little more pink, and then before you know it, it turns white after like a year. But you didn't notice that your wallpaper went from red to white. So it's going to be more like that. It's just reality is going to change under people's feet. Um, so that that I I think your question was like, uh, what needs to change? It's like I don't know if there's anything we could do to verbally convince anyone, like from the climate technology space or at these big companies. And I think with FTX, I think the gap is the gap seems bigger than ever. Actually, I I don't know. Uh, it, I, I don't know if the gap is closing at all. <laughs> that's that's what I. In fact, I think it got wider. Like if anything, it's it's bigger. Is the gap has gotten even bigger? So I don't know what to think about that. That's my learning. The the chasm seems to like like beginning of last year it was like this, and now it's back to like here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the chasm has gotten a little wider. So we're looking at the you know this chasm, but I think you know. Something that is interesting, you, you mentioned, you know, re regenerative finance has the ability to change the reality underneath people's feet. So how does regenerative finance challenge, you know, the traditional ways of capitalism and how we are doing business right now? I, I think the magic of regenerative finance is that it's the only place that I'm aware of where all these different threads are coming together of sustainability, community-led, crypto, Web3, finance, transparency, payments going directly to the people doing the work, the assets getting cataloged and tokenized properly, and then uh, it's global and it's unattached from any country and it's uh, decentralized and it's got advancements and innovations in governance. And then it has this religious and a religious element to it that makes people just feel gravitated to work on it. Uh, so I think it may be, you know, the technology may turn out to be secondary to the culture that's created. And it's like, well, you know, like maybe you go I rewind back to the 1960s and you're like, yeah, what did the, I don't know, like the hippies accomplish, you know, like, like, cause like electric gar guitars with, you know, amplifiers and like, you know, effects pedals came out and you're like, that was that, was it the electric guitars that caused that was the impact or was it like the whole movement itself and like Woodstock and all this. So I kind of, maybe, maybe we should step back and the web three is kind of like the electric guitars. It's like, it kind of gave people an excuse to get together and like do a Woodstock, like without electric guitars, you can't do Woodstock because people can't hear, you know, in the back. So it's like without web three, like maybe, maybe you can't have refi because people can't, have the payments and go to the crypto conferences and everything. And like Ethereum subsidizes the creation. So, but that's not the, that's not the point. I mean, it just enables something, a cultural revolution to happen. So maybe that's the deliverable of refi is the cultural awareness shift. And then the technology is actually just a enabling factor, not, not the main point of it. So that's, that's kind of what I think now. I really love that take Rex. That's awesome. Yeah, the, I, and I I couldn't agree more. I think that you know you don't want to, you don't want to mistake 
the the tool the, the map for the territory right or like the the tools for the goal right so yeah the the web3 is a set of tools that we can use to coordinate and as we're coordinating we're changing the culture we're coordinating towards different values that we had previously and more regenerative values i i have like one final thing to say which is sure. like, like i i've never gotten a tattoo before but i got this i got this tattoo on my arm like Two days ago. And oh, said, wow. It says fear not. It says fear not. And um, um, so I'll just tell this quick story, like last thing before. Um, so uh, I remember when COVID arrived, it was like really, really scary. And then it's like, I remember this, like, I think everybody went through a lot of uh, hard times during COVID and everybody lived in fear. And it like you had a couple days where you're like, man, I'm scared. Like, is this going to take care of the entire world apart? It's like, is this going to put every business out? Is this going to end every school? And you have several days or weeks or months of feeling that way. Am I going to die? Are the people around me, is my parents going to die? And uh, I think like dealing with the fear is critical because I think right now we're entering a time period where there's going to be more and more fear for a while. Uh, I think, you know, I'm watching my feed uh, about the conversation around AI and it's filled with fear. I think uh, you see this presidential election uh, with President Trump, you know, like uh, they're already talking about like pretty dark stuff. And the Ukrainian conflict in China is heading off with their own currency. And I feel like we're entering a period where there's going to be more fear. And uh, I think that, um, you know, maybe one of my goals is to like, uh, like, encourage people not to be afraid like that i think if i had to deliverable the next two years you know i think that's what i'd like to do so fear not is my message for everybody the next couple of years thank you rex that's an awesome message i love that call to action to fear not and one way to fear not right is to get coordinated with communities yes. of people that share your values and you can work together and you know when you have community that they can help alleviate some of that fear so um, thank you so much, Rex, for coming on the Block Explorer today. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you. I love your message, and I can't wait to have you on again soon. All right, thank you. Thanks, All right, thanks, Rex. I'll talk to you soon. Have a good day. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please share the episode, leave us a rating and a review. We'd like to give a big thank you to our friend, Matthew Patrick Donner, who's responsible for the Block Explorer production, including our music, mixing, and editing. Thanks for exploring the world of blockchain with us. Crypto is changing the world, and we're here to ensure that you're ready. So please subscribe and let all your friends know that regenerative finance is more than just tech, but it's also about the culture. We look forward to sharing our next episode with you. Cheers. Cheers.